Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 282 of the Peristyle Podcast today is August 19th, 2013. Got a, got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on. We're going to talk about all the latest news and notes from USC football practice. We'll have Coach Harvey Hyde in just a minute here in the first segment talking about what he's been observing down there at USC Fall Camp. If you have any questions or comments, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can call 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there or just go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail there as well. I want to welcome in Coach Harvey Hyde, who we got to see down there this weekend at practice. What's going on, Coach? How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. I tell you, I don't think I've been at any more, ever more uh, fog camp practices than I've been at this year. I know you're at every practice. But uh, this year, I've really gotten out. I've really observed, and uh, I'm enjoying watching uh, the coaches and team prepare for their opening game. Yeah, it's been fun. It's fun seeing you out there too, and you, you know you're out there making friends with some of the the younger writers from the the Daily Trojan and all those guys that come out. There's some new faces, and uh, it's fun to they can kind of pick your brain and, and talk to you about football. It's fun to see you down there. Absolutely amazing. Then the other day, this good-looking big guy comes up and gives me a big hug, and I said, uh-oh, who's this? <laughs> and he said, Coach, you don't remember me. And I said, I'm trying to. He says, I'm Greg Townsend. I said, you got to be kidding me. I recruited him, uh, played against him when I was the head coach at Pasadena City College, and he was playing at Long Beach City College. When I went to UNLV, I recruited him to go to UNLV, but he went to TCU. And... uh he came up and we had a great talk. And he here he is having a junior out there, number ninety three. But just it was great seeing him, and he looked like he could still play. Believe me. Yeah, he's a he's always out there on the sidelines of practice and uh, kind of trying to help his son, Greg Townsend Jr., who's a, you know defensive lineman on the team. So it's he still looks like he can play right now. He does. I asked him if he could give me one more quarter, and he says, "Coach, I think I could give you more than that." I said, "I believe you." <laughs> Cool stuff. All right. Well, let's. We're going to talk about uh, all the stuff that you've observed down there at practice, and we're going to get to some questions too. But I wanted to thank our sponsors. Sponsor Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can call them at two one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for anything here in Southern California, the the Red Hot Dodgers are a, a hot ticket right now. Definitely go to SCTickets.com and and they will help you out. And coach, I wanted to get to these questions and stuff too, but you know, since you've been down at practice so much, anything really standing out for you that, that you've seen this over this past week? Well, I tell you, I really don't know what all the questions are, but uh, you know, since they had the scrimmage, there's been so much talk about the first defense, just annihilating the offense. And, you know, I want people to understand. And if we have any questions on this, I'm apologizing that I'm going ahead of your question. But, you know, that happens in scrimmages, and you have to sit down and you really have to evaluate your films and tapes, and you have to say, is the defense that good, or is they just are they just getting used to playing against us? Because they know our offense. They go against it every single day. They know what to expect. They know what – and believe me, defensive coaches game plan, too. They know what, the, what Coach Kiffin's going to run offensively, and they try to take away the things they do. And they cover up, uh, and they don't worry about things like screen passes or draws or things that they don't run on offense. So, you know, they start to game plan the same offense they see every day. So it's hard to difficult, it's very difficult to decide is the defense that good or is the offense that bad? So you have to be able to evaluate why aren't offensive plays working? And if they're not working, do we have something to counteract what the defense is doing because they're stopping our running game and blitzing almost every play and coming after us? And 
we can't allow this to happen. And that's what happened on the Matt Wittig situation this past Friday in the scrimmage. And, of course, uh, Cody Kessler had a great scrimmage. Now, don't get me wrong. And, uh, you know, he had a couple of miraculous catches, too, by Darius Rogers, which made it a great day for Cody Kessler as far as his team driving down against the second defense. So I don't want people to get all excited or concerned one way or the other, but when the coaches talk about they had to look at the film, you've got to always think about, if I'm an offensive coach on defense, they know what I'm doing, so I've got to counteract what they're doing. Otherwise, I'm running right into the strength of the defense, and that's basically what they did on offense. Yeah, you know, we saw the the report, and Lane Kiffin talked about that they're just kind of out of sync. They just really – they didn't get Max Wittick a lot of chances. He only threw seven passes in there, but there was a bunch of three and outs, and he was going against the first-team defense, but he was also playing with the first-team offense quite a bit. And Cody Kessler got some reps first-team versus first-team, too, uh, but, you know, most of his reps were second-team versus second-team, and Wittick just really didn't get all that many chances, and – there was a lot of three and outs, and there was a lot of third and longs that he didn't throw a pass. So, I mean, what what can you take away from something like that, just watching the quarterbacks? It just seemed like something wasn't quite working right. You're right, and you've got to set up certain plays, too. And you come out and you run a bootleg right off the bat, and a bootleg shouldn't be there right off the bat. But you haven't established the run. Who would, who would want to uh, not watch the bootleg or, or consider the bootleg when you haven't established the running game? Why would the bootleg be there? So, you know, there's a lot of questions in uh, what you're looking at and evaluating. And uh, as far as when I sit and watch practice, in the last scrimmage I sat all by myself and wanted to watch it as if I was scouting a team and observing what they were doing on offense and what they were doing on defense. So, uh, you know, I don't want to get into technical things, but I just wanted to give a general description of what you have to be aware of as far as this time of camp and what's going on. Well, the, since we're talking about the quarterbacks, I thought maybe we'll just kind of pick your brain on that. We've been doing our QBR, our quarterback rating. You can see that on uscfootball.com. We basically track all of the passes that both Max Wittick and Cody Kessler throw in practice, and we have our own formula that we came up with, similar to the one the NCAA uses when they uh, rate a quarterback, when there's a quarterback rating with official stats. Um, and we keep track of the defenses they're playing with, the offense they're playing with. You get... Uh, there's bonuses for things like that. If you're playing, you know, with a, a weaker offense, or if you're playing against a stronger defense, the quarterback will get either a bonus or reduction in points. And we've been keeping track of that, you know, all throughout fall camp. And uh, Cody Kessler's, you know, been the leader pretty much the yeah the entire time. He's been the leader. Max Wittick made a, a late run, and then all the the scrimmage got a little bit out of whack. And Kessler had a lot more attempts, a lot more completions, touchdowns, and all that kind of stuff. So Cody Kessler, according to our numbers in the QBR looks like he's ahead uh would you agree with that or what what do you think about the the race where the quarterbacks are right now well you know personally those stats are great as far as if you want to do say have nothing to do okay (laughs) putting all those together and I watch you doing them I do I watch you you know marking them down and and uh, I don't know how you do drop passes and the passes they throw out of bounds because they have a rush and it's better to throw the ball out of bounds than to get sacked and I don't know how you do all that, but uh, myself, what I'm looking for in a quarterback is somebody who's a playmaker, somebody who takes charge, somebody that when he steps in the huddle, uh, everybody's eyes open up and they're ready to listen to what play he's calling. He calls it, they break the huddle, they all get off together, there's everybody lined up properly, people aren't moving around, and uh, he takes charge, and he makes plays, and uh that's what I look at. I look at somebody who makes the offense roll and makes people follow him as a leader. Now, they both throw the ball well. They're both different in stature. One is bigger than the other one. But they both come in as tremendous athletes. They both can get it done. So you've got to remember that when there's a, 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 a tremendous catch made or a big play made, uh, the stats uh, uh, sometimes don't always tell the truth. But as far as the quarterback situation right now, from the spring to where we are right now, I think Max Wittick is a great player. But I would say in the movement of the team and the scoring effort and turnovers, at this time I would say Cody Kessler has the edge. 
All right, Coach. Good stuff there. Uh, well, we talked about the quarterbacks. Let's talk about the guys. Remember, you oh. can't win if you're creating turnovers. You cannot win on any level of football if you have turnovers. Good point. And that's something that Lane Kiffin talks about a lot. He wants the quarterback that's going to take care of the ball. And uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll keep watching practices. Still no starter named yet, but we'll see what uh, Lane Kiffin does going forward. But I was going to say, we're talking about the quarterbacks. How about the guys protecting the quarterback? And we had a question from Julian on that. He says, uh, what's your assessment on the offensive line? Are there signs of improvement from last year? And how much of Friday's beatdown by the first-team defense had to do with the weak offensive line play versus great defensive play? Thanks for your knowledge and honest insight. And that's from Julian. Well, Julian, I tried to, uh, I'll try to answer this question. I think that... Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, when the defense knows exactly what's going on with your offense, they have an advantage. They know the snap count. They know the formations. They know basically what you want to do. So they're at an advantage. I think that the offense could take more advantage of the defense if they did a couple of things. I think that their line splits, if they opened up their line splits more than what they do currently right now, they'd be able to create more seams cut off people with the running backs when you run inside would be able to find holes, isolate the linebackers where you can get in there and block on the linebackers with your guards or pull a guard around. I think the guards are huge guards, and they need to get around and, and maybe cut their split down a little bit. They are. They're in good position as far as their splits when they have to pull around and lead through the hole. I think that uh, by splitting out, you create big seams. Right now, all you have is tonnage up there. A lot of tonnage where you don't give them much room to move. In fact, when they do a lot of blocking, they're shoulder to shoulder. It's almost like a wedge block rather than creating seams for the back to see inside where to go. Though basically most of the plays break to the outside unless it's on a goal line situation when they fire off the football and uh, make yards that way. So, and, and also, I think it's important that you're able to hit all the holes. Obviously, right now, it's a one-back running offense. They don't run their fullback on any play whatsoever. It's a tailback uh, situation, seven yards deep. Uh, the fullback can come up and, and line up in an eye or a strong set or a weak set with the remaining back. But the, there's no threat of him ever coming back with a counter off of it or trap up the middle or anything from the fullback. So you disregard your fullback, and you just look at him as a blocker whenever he's inside. He's either a blocker or a back in the flat on the pass. And, you know, uh, he's not the most fastest guy with the best hands, so you don't worry about covering him because you can run him down. You worry about your great receivers that are out there. I think you've got to be able to run the ball outside, and before you bootleg, you certainly have to get a running game going, or the bootleg means nothing. Action pass means nothing unless you have a running game going. The quick pass, I haven't seen that this year. I haven't seen the three-step drop, the quick slants, the quick outs as far as from the quarterback. I've seen a couple of bubble screens, but not like they've run in the past, which is good. Which is good, but I think that was an overkill the last couple of years. I haven't seen them utilize the tight ends on drags or crossing routes like you would normally do against the man defense. So I think a lot of this may be being kept undercover, but you still have to practice things you're going to use in the game, like a draw. I don't think I've seen a draw the entire fall camp. Correct me, Ryan, if I'm wrong on this, but you go to every practice. I have seen uh, – I saw Friday two screens where they used to run like with Reggie Bush where the back hides right in there by the tight end, and then he runs the play. Norm Chow used to run that draw all the time or screen all the time, no outside screens whatsoever, no uh, tosses or sweeps to the tight end side but slot the other way. So I'm waiting to see exactly what they're going to come with as far as this offense, and this is what I would be doing as far as against the defense that they're facing. So you can't really say how good is the offensive line. Uh, I'm waiting to see how good they are when they have a chance to block against somebody that has to defend the field. And right now, they're not having to defend the field. All right. Uh, well, we're talking now, about... was that a rant? That was a little bit. But that's okay. It's not too bad. But, I mean, well, you know, you stop me when I'm ranting too <laughs> long. Call, give me a delay a game or something. No, that's all right. It was good. But, I mean, we're, we're talking about the offensive line, and I think it makes sense. We, a bunch of people had questions on that. We also had this one I thought was interesting. 
it's not just about the linemen that are now. Uh, he wants to know about recruiting offensive linemen. So let me play this one for you. Good morning. Just have one question on the peristyle, and it's actually for the coach, Harvey Hyde. Um, during your era of recruiting, what were some of the main things you were looking at in terms of um, offensive linemen um, coming out of high school? A longtime friend of mine, also offensive line coach, he says that one thing that you have to be um, evaluating is attitude and looking for a certain nasty disposition um, out of your offensive linemen. I was just wondering if you agree with that type of assessment and some other things that you may um, add on to that as well. No, I agree with that. I think you have to be nasty wherever you play, and I think sometimes people say, oh, the nice guys are on offense, and sometimes that's true, but they have to be nasty. You've got to be able to roll up your sleeves and bleed at the elbows. You've got to do whatever you need to do. If you need to bite a guy in the ear or try to, you do that. You try to win. And and I'll tell you, you're at a, sometimes a disadvantage. Most of the quicker guys now on, on are on uh, and, and uh, guys that are aggressive, they put on the defensive side of the football. They can run well. The offensive guys, they're, they're in a position now to block some of the greatest athletes in America. So you've got to be an athlete, too. I think sometimes what people do now as an offensive line coach or offensive philosophy is to see if they can get the biggest guys in the world. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a great offensive lineman. You've got to be somewhat of an athlete, too. Athletes have got to be able to move the block athletes. And sometimes there's such a saying as being too tall, too big, too heavy, because you can't have the endurance, you can't get out of the football, you can't get out in front of a play. So I think the number one thing you have to have is a conditioned athlete playing on the offensive line, a nasty offensive lineman, a guy that believes in hitting somebody, and get off the football and play it as a unit. You've got to play it as play as a unit. All five guys have got to play together. You're not going to get much rave uh, unless you get a holding penalty, and then the official will let everybody know who held. But otherwise, you've got to be nasty. You've got to be an athlete, and you can't be out of shape, too big, too tall, too slow, and not aggressive. You've got to be able to have the pride of a unit, and that's what makes an offensive lineman. All right, we got some offensive line recruiting wisdom there. That's good. Thanks for that, Coach. Um, here's one from Cincinnati, Ohio. He says, I was wondering if someone could comment on how Lane has progressed as a coach from the time he arrived at USC until now. How has he improved? What areas do you think he needs the most improvement on? He receives a lot of criticism, maybe deservedly so, but it'd be nice to hear some of the good things Lane has done to improve USC football. Thanks for everything you do. That's from Aaron in Cincinnati. Well, I tell you, you know, uh, it's funny. Everybody always points out the negative things of anything. That That's where headlines come, you know, so-and-so does this or that happened. And sometimes you don't even want to watch the news because everything that makes headlines is negative. I think Lane has done some positive things. I think he's put together a nice staff now at USC. Obviously, he came in under a very confused, disoriented uh, time he wasn't really even welcomed uh, with uh, a lot of welcoming at, at USC, and he certainly didn't leave Tennessee with a lot of people happy. I think he's worked under a lot of stress as far as a young coach. Normally an older coach uh, can handle the stress a little bit more, but they have been through it before, been on a staff before that's been through it before, and uh, they're more prepared to dealing with the media and dealing with these certain incidences that happen. But I think that uh, coaches, uh, coaches has tried, and I think he's doing it his way. And you can never criticize a person who does it his way. He, he somewhat, I don't know if you talk him into doing things, but he certainly is doing it his way. Uh, we don't always have to agree with the way he does it as far as philosophy on offense or defense or who plays or who starts or what plays are called. But he's doing it his way. I think the number one thing that you can say about Coach Kiffin, he's doing it his way. Uh, you No matter what I say or people write or who he talks to, you don't see a lot of change. Uh, now he is going to, back to afternoon practices. He is going back to the black shoes with the white socks, the, the tradition of USC. 
and, and what the program was built on. Now, that doesn't mean that someone talked him into doing it. It means that he's tried another way and he doesn't like it. He's coming back to what worked before. <laughs> so I, I, I think that one thing that he's done, he's done it his way. No one has changed him as far as the injury reports that nobody likes, not knowing, including myself, why someone's hurt, because I don't see what the big deal is as far as saying he injured his thumb, we're doing an MRI, we'll let you know as soon as we get the results. Okay. <laughs> Instead of this, this secret stuff that goes on regarding that and, and other things. So, But he's doing it his way, and I would say the number one thing that you can give him credit for, he is doing it his way. All right, and Coach Lane Kiffin certainly is doing that. I think a lot of USC fans, Coach, are really anticipating what this season is going to look like. Last season, with the expectations so high, obviously it didn't turn out the way a lot of USC fans wanted it to turn out. Um, you, I know you like some of the changes he's made with, on the coaching staff, and I know you don't advocate coaches getting fired or anything like that. Um, what's your gut feeling kind of going into the, the season? Like, do you, do you think there's going to be some, some room for optimism or is it going to be seeing some strange things happen like last year and, and losing games where USC really didn't have any business losing them? I'm excited about this coming football season. Why last year you could only go one way and that was down. Whenever you start number one and you got a Heisman trophy candidate, you can only go one way and that's down. You lose one game to Stanford when they're up 14 to seven and a half. And all of a sudden, the bubble burst. Now you're in a position that everyone wants to wait and see, and no one's really knowing what to expect. So if you can get out there and win some football games and keep winning and win the games you're supposed to win and play great games against the people you've got to get up for and pull it off, uh, you can have a great season. I definitely think that they have the potential on players to win and to win and have a successful year. I think they've got some key things to accomplish, to be there with self-confidence, but no longer is the Coliseum uh, a death trap. No longer are people afraid to come into the Coliseum and play USC. Before, they'd want to get in there and just please let us leave without carrying, uh, uh, having body bags uh, with our players in it. Now... People come in with a different intensity, a different belief that they can beat USC, not only at home but on the road, because they've seen that happen over the last couple of years. So you've got you've to go out and you've got to play hard every game, but you've got better players than some of the people you play. You just can't deny that. So you've got to be able to put those players in a position where they can best utilize their talent, not make it too complicated, Make it where they can excel at what they do. Coach them up. Make sure you're running offenses and defenses that fit their style and fit their athletic abilities, and then you got a chance. Now, I think USC has a chance. I'm not ready to tell you how many games I think they should win, but as we get closer to the season, maybe next week, I will tell you that. But I look forward to them having, if they do what they're supposed to do, if they play the way I assumed, if I – think they play like they should, they should have a great year. Now, what is a great year at USC? I've told you before, a great year at USC is winning a national championship. Winning the Pac-12 is expected. Just expected. So we'll see what happens. We certainly will. All right. I'm looking forward to your prediction. Well, I guess we'll do that next week. So someone write in, remind us, and we'll make sure we ask Coach Hyde who he thinks, how many games he thinks USC is going to win next week on the show. Uh, Terrian's going to get our last question of the day. He says, Coach, why are defensive backs often chosen to return punts when it appear that receivers and running backs would be the more natural choice since their primary job is to catch and run with the football? No, uh, I asked this knowing that some of the greatest punt returners in the game have been cornerbacks. And that's from Terrian. Well, I think that the coaches just feel like they want to give some of the great offense or defensive athletes a chance to touch the football. Uh, not that they don't want to give it to the best punt returner. They do, no matter who it is, offensively or defensively. The first thing you've got to do is have someone back there that's smart and someone back there that has hands. Because you've got to make a decision where you are on the field, whether you should fair catch it, return it. You have to have a vision uh, looking at the ball and seeing where – the gunners are coming from. 
You've got to make sure that you catch the football first. You've got to know where you are in the field as far as should you fair catch it or let it roll in the end zone or pretend like you're going to catch it and let it go into the end zone or fair catch it and let it go into the end zone or fair catch it. So you've got to have somebody back there that understands what it's all about. If you don't, you're going to get in trouble there. And then, sure, you want to have a guy that can run a home run, but if he does hit a home run, but if he doesn't have great hands, you can't take a chance on that. There's a lot of times people put back put guys back there that say, just catch it and come out and we'll be happy where the field <laughs> position is rather than have a turnover. But you can't have a turnover. So uh, in, uh, in, at USC, uh, kickoff returns, they've got Marquise Lee back there, they've got Sam Brown back there, they've got some guys back there that, that can run it well. They've got a lot of talent at USC. They have some kids there that have done it in high school in their entire career. So it's not like they're, like they're lacking for talent. And you've heard me say, and you've heard a lot of people say, and I was talking to people at practice and reporters at practice, uh, Marquise Lee has to touch the ball all the time. I don't believe in that. I believe you beat him up and you're going to lose him. I think Marquise Lee should be utilized where others, too, can be successful. Because this is a great athlete, but you have other great athletes. When I watch Darius Rogers, when I watch Nelson Aguilar, when I watch Grimble of Telford, when I watch Blackwell, Flournoy, these guys have started in any other team in the Pac-12, not to mention some of the other athletes that are out there. So they all have done these type of punt returns in high school. They all were the top athlete at their high school. But you've got to be able to put a guy back there you have confidence in. You've got to put a guy back there that you can't afford to lose if somebody comes out and runs and just smacks him. And you don't want to overuse an athlete either where he becomes gun-shy or becomes sore and cannot go hard on every play on offense. So, you know, that's my feeling. You've got to use good judgment on who you put back there. It's a combination of someone that's smart and has great athletic ability. But number one, he's got to have hands. Yeah, we've seen a bunch of different guys being used by USC over the years. The we've seen some hands guys that really didn't have the capabilities of breaking one, like a Greg Carlson, and you know we've we've seen some birders and stuff too. So they've definitely used uh, a wide variety of guys back there. Punt returns. We saw Nikel Roby do some of that too. Robert Wood. So a lot of, a lot of different athletes UFC has used from both sides of the ball. You're exactly right, and you know sometimes a guy can be a great receiver. I think I remember, I think Keyshawn Johnson even returned punts for a while. Didn't he do that six, at 6'4"? Six, I don't remember that. Yeah, probably. I mean, I remember they put him, like, as a deep safety and uh, uh, prevent defenses before. I don't remember if they had him return punts. Probably. I mean, yeah, someone will write in and say they didn't know for sure, but I don't quite remember. Can't remember that, but let me throw this at you. When I was working with George Allen, George Allen said, you know, I want to recruit Wilt Chamberlain. So I said, do what? To play football. <laughs> and he says, you know what I want to use him for? He said, what? To block field goals and PAT. <laughs> Not a bad thought, was it? No. Not a bad thought. Just have him line up back there and jump up in the air and see if he – what if he had four of those guys lined up back there just all jumping up? That would that would be something, wouldn't it? You get the, <laughs> get the basketball team to come out there. Yeah, I think just that's why. Just get him out for just blocking field goals and PAT. They don't have to do anything else. Yeah. Get, Four guys, five guys uh, standing across it, or all six eleven, seven four, whatever, and just try to block it. Nice. Maybe we'll uh, we'll see something like happen for USC. I don't know. I know they put some. Uh... No, just, <laughs> no, this is a true story, though. Really, he did say that. Well, they got Zach Banner. They're going to try to use him, and they used Matt Khalil in the past. So they've they've yeah. used their taller offensive lineman for that. But I haven't seen a, a basketball player come in to do it. But not yet, not no. yet. What I, don't, I don't think NFL will let you do that anyway. No. But it would be funny. <laughs> All right, well, Coach, thanks very much for uh, sharing all your thoughts on this. We appreciate that, and we'll uh, we'll get your predictions next week on the show. Okay, buddy, have a good one, and uh, for all of you listeners, thank you very much for calling in. Yeah, thanks very much, Coach, and everyone else. Hey, back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk some more USC football with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. 
SC Tickets, Concert Sports and Theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. And, uh, we, you know, we've got to see the, the team somewhat scrimmage in the Coliseum uh, Sunday night. And there's still questions about the quarterback. So, Dan, I think I'm going to jump off and just play a, a voicemail question for you to start off. That sound okay? Sure. All right. Here we go. Yeah, this is Doug at the top of the grapevine. Just wondering, it seems like Coach Kiffin is doing everything in his power not to name Cody Kessler as the starter, making excuses for Max Wittick uh, when things don't go well. And I'm just wondering if this guy realizes his job is on the line. I've seen Max play. He had his shot, and it was horrific. You know, some people, you know, when they get in practice, they look good. They get out the game and just can't do it. The pressure's too much. They just can't do it. And other people, uh, they get in the game, and they turn out like Johnny Manziel. I'm sure he wasn't tearing it up in practice like he does out on the field there when the switch is on. And I just don't, you know, I'm just wondering, does the coach know his job is on the line here? That's about it. Fight on. Uh, <laughs> so the, you can see all the way out at the grapevine that, uh, yeah, his job is on, on, on the line, I would think. And, and I don't think he doesn't not know that. He, he knows. Uh, I think there may be more going on to the uh, – the quarterback not not being decided. This could be one of those situations where you really do want to extend it as long as possible for the reason of making sure you have those quarterbacks available during the season, during this year, that you have three scholarship quarterbacks, you know, to go forward, and that by making it so obvious that you're bending over backwards to give – uh, you know, depending on how you look at it, depending giving each guy an absolute chance, or maybe the guy that was you know starting out behind and you know struggling a little bit, uh, he's improved a lot. Max has improved a lot. He's worked really hard. He's really tried to handle uh, all of the issues maybe that you know that that came up in the um, in the in the Sun Bowl. Uh, I don't think. Anybody was really ready to go for USC behind Matt Barkley, and that isn't really, you know, the kid's fault all the time. And sometimes that just happens when you have a four-year starter. So uh, I think there could be more going on than just indecision or more going on that just you want one guy to, to, do, to get it. Uh, you know, I think there, there probably are other, other issues involved there. And uh, I think, you know, the coach has made a decision that he's not going to make a decision in any public way. I mean, it's almost painful. He's got to know when he can't answer every single day, you know, the questions that he's asked about the quarterback competition, that that doesn't make him look good. He knows that. So he's, it's a conscious decision to keep this open for reasons that, uh, that we'll, we may never know, uh, the, the specificity of, of exactly why, in his mind, you know, he felt like he needs to keep this open. I, I'm on record as saying I think it needs to, needs to, you know, be decided and, and, and pick a number one and pick the guy who's, who's won the job. But, uh, you know, it's the coach's decision. It's his job. It's his prerogative. Uh, I think that, you know, this team could over, overcome those kinds of things. I think the schedule gives them – the ability to maybe you know to do that and to carry this on as long as as long as as it has to go on, uh, but uh, uh, it, you know that famous you know famous cliche it is what it is and, and <laughs> it, we're not cracking you know Coach Kevin he's not I mean, he was kidding afterwards yesterday about uh, he would check with uh, when he got back to the office and see if he'd gotten any tweet from a sports writer as to who he should start. Uh, <laughs> He was looking right at me at the time, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, and, and Gary Klein, Gary Klein from the LA Times asked him that question every single day. Yeah, and he was, he was looking at me when he answered it. So he knows this is not a revelation to Lane that people are getting antsy, and it sure looks like maybe uh, it could go one way. But why hasn't it? Uh, 
I would guess that probably other things are involved here. And we have one other uh, voicemail question uh, on the quarterbacks. I'll play that one for you now, too. Hi, Ryan. Frank Blaha calling from Sacramento. Just wondering how Matt Barkley ever beat out veteran quarterbacks four years ago when Max Brown didn't even stand a chance this year. I'll take your question when you get time. Uh, I don't think the quarterbacks four years ago were as prepared as these two are uh, or as talented. I, I think that I don't think, you know, it was a different it was a different world and uh you know when you're a freshman quarterback in and you know even if you're a quote unquote outlier as uh as Matt Barkley was uh you only do that if uh you know if the other guys aren't quite ready which proved to be the case and there are injuries and which proved to be the case so um mostly that's uh that's much more uh circumstantial then, uh, uh, you know, then you're just so such a special freshman or, or whatever. Uh, I, I think it would be almost a condemnation of what's going on at USC in terms of coaching if the two really highly, you know, two top five guys coming out of their class three years ago, I guess now, uh, were not prepared to uh, to win this uh, over a, over a freshman, and I do think they gave uh, Max Brown a pretty good look, and I do think they know what they have, and I think they they're pretty confident that uh, that what Max Brown you know that, that Max Brown could go in and win football games for this team. I don't think there's any question he shouldn't have to, you know, it just really shouldn't be something that that he ought to have to do, uh, and um, and if he's got to two guys ahead of him uh it just it, it's something that you should a program like usc should never find itself in that situation now this spring and you want to say okay max brown now go get them see what you can do i think that's a whole different story but uh even coming in in the spring uh, not not ready yet and 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 i don't and matt barkley i don't think would have uh you know, been able to come in and beat these guys out uh, as a, uh, you know, just leaving uh, modern day in the spring. I don't think that would have happened. There, the complexity of the offense, the, all the things you got to know and be able to do, uh, no, not not possible. Um, interesting you said that Barkley wouldn't be able to, to win out. There. I never really thought about that. And uh, we, you know, we did the quarterback uh, rating the QBR thing back then uh, in, in 2009, I guess it was, and, and Matt Barkley came out ahead. Right now we have uh, Cody Kessler ahead. Um, we've, he's been ahead. We haven't come out with the new numbers for Monday, but that'll come out Monday afternoon sometime after this podcast goes up uh, for following the, the Sunday QBR. And there will only be three more days, Dan, that we can record these throws and, and put up the QBR. But knowing that, and knowing that on Wednesday is really the final day we can watch practice, there'll be a scrimmage in the Coliseum at 2 p.m. Do you think Lane Kiffin has any reason to name anyone, really between now and the scrimmage? I mean, I don't see why. And if that's the case, then he's going to name someone after we can't watch what's going on in practice any longer. Aha, uh-huh. maybe maybe you're onto something there, Brian. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the thing is, you really can't slip anybody in because they will be watching, uh, you know, starting August 29th, and they will be keeping score. As uh, Adolf Rupp, when I was a little kid in Kentucky, famously said, that's why they have scoreboards. They, they, they keep track of who wins. And uh, that will be the only rating that really matters uh, after, uh, after this week. Uh, but I think, you know, I think the QBR has, has pretty accurately reflected what we've seen. I mean, you know, if you had to, you know, come up with numbers out of your head, uh, it'd probably be pretty close to uh, to what the QBR says. You know, as closely as we've been able to measure it, and I, I guess we must not be terribly far off. I think the other day we had a difference in 13 throws between the two quarterbacks, and Lane mentioned that that the numbers were 12 different. So now, whether he's using R and missed by one, or you know, they also have their own, obviously, but. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's pretty right on in, in terms of, of what is measurable 
Uh, you don't measure. We're not measuring what's happening in the huddle. We're not measuring what's happening in the film room, the meeting room, all that kind of thing. Uh, the intangibles. The you know, uh, the quarterback is in the receivers on the same you know wavelength, and all that kind of thing is just the ability to adjust on the fly. Uh, don't do as you know. That's not in there. But uh, but what can be measured, I think, is in there, and it's pretty darn pretty darn accurate. And uh, we'll just see how that goes. Uh, I guess when you say, it got, you know, it got Barkley right, uh, we'll see how it goes this year. But uh, uh, I, I don't think there will be anything more needed to be measured after Wednesday. Uh, and after that, you know, they're going to be keeping score. And everybody's going to be watching, except for those with DirecTV uh, trying to see the Boston <laughs> College game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on the East Coast, uh, but uh, but you know, QBR. We won't need a QBR then. You got a scoreboard. That's a very good point. All right. Um, yeah, I'm curious. You know, one other thing before I know, I don't want to harp on the quarterbacks too much, but it is the biggest topic. I did see a post on the Peristyle that they said, uh, "Why aren't we doing things like TCU?" They just said, you know, they came out and announced that, um, you know. There's not going to be a starting quarterback named. You'll find out when the opening snap, you know, when, when the offense takes the field, who the starting quarterback is. And uh, I thought how that would work here. Um, I mean, if we, we keep track of who gets first-team reps and all of that while we watch practice. If Cody Kessler or Max Wittick got all the first-team reps for the last week, then it's pretty obvious who it's going to be. But, they, you know, Lane Kiffin's been switching them off, not even just every day, but every – drill my seven on seven one guy will get first team that you know full team or team run or whatever they'll the other guy will get first team um i'm wondering if that's something he could do after they close off practices and maybe just kind of get your thoughts on the whole tcu and comparing that situation well i mean who knows this may be tcu this may be a silent tcu situation where gary patterson came out and said what he was doing he wasn't going to name anybody. Let LSU guess who's going to be his starting quarterback. Uh, uh, could be. One would think you wouldn't want to have to invest that kind of effort into um, into hiding the quarterback from Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> but then one would have thought you wouldn't have needed to change jersey numbers in the Colorado game either. <laughs> and so who knows? So, you know, it's not always – and it might be, you know, it might be for reasons that we don't know, you know, fun reasons, good reasons, bad reasons, who knows. Uh, but they can surely do that. Now, the issue will be next, you know, next week, the practices we don't, we don't see, everybody's going to be waiting there. And uh, Tuesday when we, you know, get the offense, well, let's see, Tuesday is the day for Saturday, for Saturday games. When that day will be for a Thursday game, I don't know if it'll be Sunday when we get to talk to the offense, but you can bet the questions are going to be, Cody, who got the first team ref today? <laughs> Max, who got the first team ref today? Cody, how many passes did you get to throw today? Max, you know, Lane, who did you give the first team, you know, reps to today? So there will be those questions. And now whether they say, oh, we can't answer those, those are, you know, proprietary information that we can't, you know, Whatever, I don't know how that's going to go because we haven't done this before. So this is uh, the whole thing is new, and, and I mean, my preference would be to have a have a have a pick and not have us having to talk. If I were if I were the coach, I wouldn't want the distraction of having to talk about this every day. You know, let's just get on to getting them healthy and and getting them back ready to go for the first game. And you know, I mean. Could Marquise Lee have been any more insistent at the Pac-12 media day and every day since that he'd really like to know and be able to get on the same wavelength with the guy that it's going to be? Uh, I don't think he, you know, I think he absolutely can. And you do see things every day where quarterbacks and receivers figure things out and on certain situations and, and knowing what, where the receiver is going to go, knowing where, I mean, and that's worked both ways. I mean, it was a great job the other day by uh, Nelson Aguilar when Wittick said I saw him sit you know sit down in one place in the end zone and I knew he was going to break if I stayed you know uh, stayed alive long enough he was going to break to the corner 
those kinds of things you really do need to build up over time. And, uh, and so the sooner they get to do doing that as much as possible with the guys they're going to be doing it with, uh, I think the better. All right. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. And we had, uh, there's three questions here on the offensive line. I'm going to kind of lump them together. I'll hit the highlights for each one and get your, your comments on that. Um, Let's see. First, Melvin wanted to know if you thought Woods or Wheeler was going to be the the starting left tackle. Um, Jamal had a question about Andre Walker. Um, as far as he wanted to know, you get all the way from Ohio, and you, there's a bunch of other two and three star offensive linemen from the same class that are performing for other teams. Uh, what's the problem? Why isn't he out there more? And then Rafi wants to know, assuming everyone stays healthy. Who do you think the starting offensive line is going to be for the Hawaii game? Um, I think on the, on the Walker question, I think there are some issues, you know, with maybe high school background, good program, good athletes, maybe not, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, focus on, on a finished, uh, you know, product as such. Uh, and, you know, there were the, you know, the switches from right side to left side and guard to tackle and, and just an ability to to just be totally focused on uh, on exactly what what has to be done, um, and you know that losing focus, you know, as the uh, UCLA game showed, uh, you know, can really be a negative thing. So I think there's been you know some of that with Andre, uh, uh, great kid in a lot of ways. Boy, you just it's hard not to like him, uh, and he's gotten his body in you know great shape and done a lot of good things, but. Uh, you know, you've got to be there every play, uh, every day, and uh, and we'll see. Now, it's interesting that they're going a different direction there. They're trying to uh, incorporate, you know, the ability for all of those guys to play all those positions. And so he may be the next guy, uh, uh, you know, that, as Mike Summers says, I want my five best linemen on the field, and then I want the next guy to be the next guy in and you don't know where that next position that's going to be open is going to be. Therefore, um, you know, the, the real effort yesterday, for example, to, to get all three inside guys, guards and center to be able to play all three positions, which it looks like they can. Now you, you toss a Markowitz into that equation. And now you've got four guys that can pretty much play either guard and center. Well, you know, contrast that with going into the um, Stanford game last year. So it's a different, you know, emphasis here. And, uh, you know, by, uh, you know, getting uh, John Martinez back, who can play all three positions now, uh, it's, uh, it's a whole different, uh, you know, look as to who the, you know, how the offensive line is going to shape up. If you had to guess, you'd probably say Wheeler, from the left on, you know, you'd probably say Wheeler, Turk, Martin, Martinez, and uh, and Kevin Graff would be uh, the way you'd probably go, and then see how the rest of it, you know, fills out. I think they seem to be fairly pleased with Nathan Gertler as the, um, the you know, the second guy at left tackle where he's been for a couple of years, and he's you know six six two ninety five now. Um, I think. Uh, they're, um, you know, they're probably counting on Jordan Simmons, who was back in pads yesterday for the first time, uh, to be able to develop over the next few weeks and, uh, and, and be a credible you know, guy there. They're certainly working very hard with, uh, with Zach Banner at right tackle. Uh, so, you know, I mean, and, and Giovanni DiPaolo is, is healthy, and he's another you know, option at guard. Uh, they have a lot more potential answers up there. I mean, last year it was hard to come up with a five-man group. Uh, this year, that's not, you know, it's harder this year just because there's way, you know, there's a number more than five potentially who could uh, who could go out there, and that's got to be a good thing, you know, for this team. So, uh, but I don't, I, I think they're going to focus on who are the best five uh, offensive linemen. How do we get them on the field at the same time, and where do we have to play them? Uh, uh, to do that, and that's what they're doing. All right, um, and I just should mention. I think I Melvin wrote Woods or Wheeler. I think he met Walker or Wheeler. He met uh, Walker. Yeah, yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, Antoine Woods isn't uh, 
moving over the offensive line. But he did return to practice yesterday. Did he did return, some. and that was a that was a big pick me up because they had to in the morning they had to you know bring George Uko down to nose. Uh, Cody Temple's ankle is just not you know not cooperating with him. He was so ready to play and strong and explosive and kind of own, earned a co-starter spot after spring. But uh, but Antoine got dinged up in the Thursday scrimmage, and so they bring uh, bring Yuko uh, down to nose, and that brings J.R. Tavai out there, who's been playing really well, and then he got dinged up. And so for Saturday or Sunday night, you um, you had Antoine back out there and battling like uh, you know like crazy, and you know giving him that uh, that rotation that that they need. And uh, he's a real gamer, and he's uh, come you know he's. He really wants to play, and he's really working hard at it, and he's a tough kid. And, uh, and that's probably the kind of thing that they're going to have to happen, you know, have happen in a lot of places is guys uh, step up and step in and say, I'm here and I'm ready to go, and uh, let's go get them. All right. Uh, let's see. We have next one. It'll be from John Bettina. Uh, he wants to know how – different have practices looked this year compared to last. I haven't been following very closely and the main reason is that I got pretty discouraged when I found out Kiffin is calling the plays again. Wow. So we have a lot of good coverage up there you're missing. So check out Fall Camp Central, John. But he said one of his quotes about being closer to his players is eerily familiar with comments he made last year. I'm very apprehensive about this year. Well, I guess one would, you know, the play calling is one thing, uh, but the decisions that have been made in terms of how they're going to practice, they haven't backed off from being physical, even with the, you know, up to 23, between 17 and 23, you know, limited players on a, on a particular day. Uh, it hasn't backed them off at all. I mean, they, and they take, uh, you know, they're not supposed to, on the thud, when they thud and they're just supposed to hit them and stop them and not take them to the ground. Uh, they're liable to knock you, you know, 10 yards out of bounds sometimes, uh, uh, it does remind you more of the way it used to be, especially just the philosophy of the defense, the aggressiveness, the running to the ball. Uh, the running. Uh, last year, practices were slow speed, slow motion. They were really, uh, I thought they were really handicapped going into games last year because they hadn't practiced at full speed. One of the things I thought was most encouraging Sunday night is they finished up. This is the final two a day. And, two sessions, and they finished up with uh, they running, running sprints and running a lot of sprints. And they ran, and they, they really ran. I mean, it didn't look, you, it hit you. You think, wow, that doesn't look like last year's team. These guys all can run, and they all will run. And uh, they ran hard, and they ran for a long time, and they, uh, they didn't seem to slack off at all. I, this team, I think, runs better than any we've seen for, you know, five, five years easily uh, as a group. And I like that a lot. And I like the fact that they're going to, you know, that's how they're going to play defense. They're going to run to the football. And uh, so that changes, play calling or not, that changes things a lot in terms of the, the look of the team. The way they practice has changed, uh, you know, the look of the team. So I think, you know, all of those issues, uh, Lane has made the right calls with the coaches he's hired and with the way they're running practice. I mean, this has been a hard, long, hard, grueling, tough uh, preseason practice. And, and yet, you know, as, you, as we saw last night, it didn't look like it had taken these kids down in terms of their ability to finish up uh, with you know, with really good running uh, in the sprint session at, at the very end. So uh, play calling is separate. Okay, that'll be. We'll see how that goes. You know, I know it's. Uh, and somebody made the point on the P uh, today that uh, is that one of the issues in uh, halftime adjustments. If you uh, if you take the uh, media scrums after practice, where where Lane says basically, I've got to go back and look at the film before I can tell you what I just saw or what you just saw, or what we all just saw, because I didn't really see it. Is that, one, is that a limitation, you know, for a coach who is uh, focused on, on the play sheet to be able to go in at halftime and know what he really absolutely saw uh, in the first half? And, you know, there, there are some clearly troubling issues about USC's third, 
third quarter performance last year. I mean, it was stunningly awful. I mean, second quarter was great. Third quarter was just, you know, as bad as it gets. Uh, so that's a separate issue, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, right. I know it's hard. I mean, for example, I, if you're sitting up in the booth and you've got that play sheet in front of you and you're the offensive coordinator, with one glance you can see the field, all the players, and your play sheet. When you're on the sideline with that play sheet, you've got to make a choice. I'm either watch a game or I'm focus on the play sheet. It's a very, and you don't have a very good angle. I mean, it's not a great place to watch a game from the sidelines, uh, even if you don't have anything in your hands that you're looking at. So, uh, so you know, I think that become uh, that is an issue that probably won't go away. And if, yet, honestly, if they run the ball really well and they get good yardies on the first couple of downs, it won't be as won't be that big of an issue. Like two years ago, halfway through the season, when they figured out with Matt Khalil and, and Red Ellison what they could do running the ball, which then opened up almost anything they wanted to do throwing the ball. Uh, if they can do that again, maybe all the you know play sheets and you know who's where calling what plays almost doesn't matter if you can uh, you know get that positive yardage. But if you do what, for example, happened Thursday with the first team getting very little positive yardage running the ball in the first couple of downs and you're at third and long, you're in trouble. doesn't matter who's calling the play. That's not an easy call. So we'll see. All right, we got a couple more to get to real quick, Dan, before we let you go. Uh, Pam wants to know, do you think USC can be a BCS caliber team this season? And if not, what would take them to become one? Players, coaches, schemes, leaderships, etc. That's from Pam. Well, you know, I think you need Pam. You need a little luck. Uh, you can't have a run of injuries at the same position, or you can't have a you know just a, a team wide you know run at the wrong you know wrong time that kind of thing. But if you look at it on paper, uh, yeah, USC could be a you know a BCS team. Who on their, who on their schedule has has a better 44-man roster, let's say. Who, uh, you know, who's too deep is better than USC's too deep. I'm not sure anybody's is. If, you know, your USC's all healthy, you know, too deep against somebody else's all healthy too deep. Uh, uh, the schedule is is one that allows you to build and, uh, you know, get the right things done in the right place. Obviously, you know, you got to go over to, you know, you got to handle business in the first four games, three of them at home. You got to go over to Tempe, and you got to be ready to play on that first road game in the Pac-12, and probably be 100 degrees. Uh, I think the summer, you know, August work has helped help them be ready for that. Uh, and uh, you just got to take care of business. But they're who on their schedule? You know, they were seven and six last year. But look at every game they lost. Which one of those games should they have lost? Should they have lost the the Oregon game where they scored 51 points at home? Should they have lost the Stanford game where you know, they, they're leading 14-7 to 7 at halftime against a, a guy who's no longer even the quarterback and they're no longer on the team at Stanford. I mean, they, they you know, you can look at every game they lost last year and should they? Uh, you know, obviously I think if Matt Barkley's healthy, they probably don't lose the Notre Dame game. Uh, I would think, you know, that changes that enough. Uh, and then the UCLA game, you know, maybe, gosh, Maybe you, you, you know, if you start the game off giving them a, you know, basically a touchdown uh, on their field, that's probably not a good idea. And then you lose your quarterback. So you could look at a scenario of last year as, as badly prepared as they were in a lot of ways, as badly coached as they were, which they admit, as much as Monty's defensive scheme totally didn't fit uh, the college game and totally was unteachable to uh, college players and unplayable by them. Uh, and all the uh, issues on offense um, and all the issues of not being physical and all that, there still wasn't a game they were out of. Um, and so, um, you know, you you look at that and you think, gosh, uh, how much do they have to improve on defense? How much do they have to improve on offense? One would be able to make the case that, you know, they ought to be a touchdown better on defense and they ought to be a touchdown better on offense. Um, and if that's the case, they're in pretty good shape. We'll see, but uh, but you know I I don't know I have this think you know this feeling that uh, that 
you know, that they could circle like, like Pete's teams always did, circle Pasadena and say, you know, we want to end up there and, and we can get there. And, um, you know, if they, if they don't have a run of really bad luck and they, they prepare the way they, again, last year, at this time last year, we had no idea who the starting offensive line, how it was going to work, why they weren't able to run the ball in practice, uh, where the tailback's going to be healthy, what was going on with Robert Woods, uh, all kinds of, you know, questions and, and the defense that was, you know, got guys back there who, um, who we all know and we all think they're pretty good, but for some reason they, they just don't seem to be putting it all together. And it was one of those, yeah, you know they're ranked number one, but, man. Now the, the only question everybody had last year was, well, who else should be there? And nobody knew Alabama you know, was going to be that good. Certainly nobody knew Notre Dame was going to be that good. If you looked at, for example, where Notre Dame was a year ago this time and where USC is right now, I kind of like where USC is better than I might have liked where Notre Dame was. I mean, nobody thought Notre Dame was going to be, you know, the team last year. Uh, so so I, don't, I don't think that would be an unreasonable thought to have in, in, in people's heads that there might be a spot for them there, yeah, in, that, in the BCS, yeah. All right. Uh, two, we're going to try to get these real quick, Dan, and let you go. Uh, Jason Hernandez on Twitter. Any major changes to the Coliseum before the season, or what can we look forward in the years to come? Well, there are there are banners uh, more that I I think they look like more you know recognition of national championship teams and that, that that I don't remember seeing quite the way they are now, and I know they were putting up those platforms to put those horrific ugly. Uh, tents for the uh, you know special uh, you know special guests and donors and all that, which you know mostly blocks the peristyle from view during the game, which which uh, is uh, which is uh, uh, I think you know it's the one architectural uh, you know statement at the Coliseum that is unrivaled in the rest of the world to block that off from the view of 90,000 fans, I think is a bad idea. So if it were me, those platforms would stay right where they are, just platforms, no <laughs> tents. So you could see, and that's where they are right now. They're putting up the wooden platforms at the uh, uh, Parasolian. in. I wish that, that weren't, weren't so. Other than that, I think it's going to be a, kind of another year before you get to, you know, those really measurable uh, – uh, advances, although again, enjoy that scoreboard. You know there are hardly any in the in the world like it, and uh, it's uh, it's a special special um, feature, as those of us who go to other you know lots of other stadiums realize. Um, you know maybe I think the one in Texas maybe uh, is 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 there, but other than that, and to be able to watch the you know replays and see the game in the brightest of sunlight and they have that sound system and all that, you know, I, uh, I mean, I think they don't do that enough at a lot of stadiums. And I think they, um, so for my, you know, for my money, that would have, that was the best place to, to put the first, uh, the, you know, big improvement. And, uh, you know, it just, um, it remains a, a wonderful feature, uh, you know, of the Coliseum. I think the other thing you might notice, the turf looks better than we've seen it. And I think it's the, the fact that USC has a much more of a, a handle now on how things are being run at the Coliseum. And, uh, and you could tell last year, right after the game, they would have the mowers out and they would be, you know, taking care of the field in ways we never saw before. But uh, the Coliseum turf looks like it's in, in really good shape. So uh, so that's something to look forward to. And one last one, Kevin in South OC. Is it possible that Coach Kiffin is our version of Mark Richt? Every time Rick is on the hot seat at Georgia, he pulls through with a 10-win season. I'm hoping the same is true for our unbatted coach this year. What do you guys think? See any similarities? Yeah, actually, probably, yeah. I mean, it, <clears throat> what did they say? Uh, who was it? Mark Twain? Somebody said, uh, no, it was Samuel Johnson, said uh, when they walk you out on the gallows, uh, it has a wonderful way of focusing your mind. And... Uh, you know, that uh, you have a tendency to maybe things you might not have done or put off, whatever, when you're, you know, when you're looking at that hangman's noose, you may uh, you may get really focused on, 
on the important things. And, and, and I did, I think, you know, this is a pretty good team and with a pretty good chance to be pretty good. Um, so that, and you know, sometimes when you're a coach, the best thing you can do is, uh, we'll get, get another reference here. The, uh, the Hippocratic oath, which was the first thing doctors are supposed to do. Physicians do no harm. And, and that may be a good rule for coaches too. Uh, you know, don't screw them up. Don't get in the way. It's not about you. It's about them. It's a, and the John McKay rule, it's about your players, not your plays. And uh, so they go down that road, they got a chance. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, next week we'll be out of fall camp, so we'll uh, get, get an update on everything we saw in the last few days of, of practice. But, again, thanks very much for coming on the show. I enjoyed it. Good questions. Lots of them. Lots of them the next uh, next couple of weeks, I think. Certainly will be. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Like that's Dan said, thank you very much for the questions. Uh, try to get them in on Sunday if you can. The ones that come in Monday morning are a little harder to get on the show. Uh, but put them in on Sunday, and we'll definitely get them on. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 